Welcome back to Red Fools. You're listening to another episode of Left 4 Dead, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not spoiler-free podcasts, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Ray. And I'm your other host, Chris. And the podcast is coming from within the house. And who is the caller? Oh, <laughs> it's our ghost face killer, our special guest for today, Amber. What scary movie. <laughs> yes. And that's the cold open. Did I sound like Emma Roberts right there? Like, I love her opening. Or when she's teasing around, she's like, what's your favorite scary movie, Olivia? And she's like, that yes. is the worst rendition of Ghostface I have ever heard. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Beautiful. Well, let me introduce Amber. Uh, her accolades are many. She's a final girl extraordinaire future Mrs. Voorhees. She is a horror movie magnet in training, and she is a horror connoisseur. Amber and I, we've been friends for a while, and we work together. Every now and then, the office, we get into a rant about horror movies, and it's awesome. Uh, We wanted to have her on as a special guest, so welcome to the show, Amber. Yes, I'm very excited. Uh, Most interesting thing that's happened to me recently was I got to interview Kane Hodder, And I had a lot of questions about part seven through Jason X, because obviously he's in the most ridiculous Jason movies out there, which take the franchise to another level, right? Like you could be any fan of any other franchise, but like he goes to space, he fights somebody with powers. He takes a cruise ship from a lake to New York city. He turns into a worm and uh, fun fact, I asked him what was the craziest script he read because he's been through all that. And he's like, Jason X. Thought Jason X might be too far, but we did it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jason in space was arguably not, not, I, I, okay. I love the Jason movies, but that was arguably probably like the worst one. Oh, but yeah. it has one of my favorite kill Jason kills besides the sleeping bag kill. It has my ultimate, my face, exactly, face in the nitrous slammed on the dashboard. Easily one of my favorite, one of the best kills of the Jason franchise besides the sleeping bag. Yeah, it's pretty notoriously known actually now. And I think Kane and I spoke about it very briefly is that's like the number one kill. And then number two is the sleeping bag. And it kind of goes from there. But agreed, like Jason X, I really don't like, but the kill is so great. I do think the worst movie is probably Jason Takes Manhattan though. Like that, <laughs> the whole concept, like we, like a lake is a body of water. There's there's no way a cruise ship is going out of a lake. Like, how does it connect to New York? Someone's got to tell me. Doesn't. It, it was. It was through the through movie magic and the fact that they really thought the audience would. No, 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 no. False, false, false. It went through a wormhole via Donnie Darko, Darko, and it ended up back in, <laughs> in New York. There you go. Problem solved. Oh my god. Um, is that my biggest problem is that it took place like a lake going to cruise ship. They're like, not that Jason comes back to life. Not that, you know, spoiler, Jason gets like, I don't know. They have that toxic sewage at the end where he like melts. Like, did they really do that in New York? I don't know if that was a thing. Or not that he boxed off somebody's head. Not that he then went on Arsenio Hall as Jason. They're, okay, but still, the lake to the, to the New York scene problematic. Still the most unbelievable part of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that tracks. That tracks. No, that 100% tracks. So, Amber, you're a perfect fit for this show because we go on tangents all the time. And that was a, a lovely time. tangent. So, let, let's, let's steer it back to you. 
obviously you're you're a huge Jason fan and a huge Friday the Thirteenth fan, but tell us tell the dreadfuls a bit about yourself. Okay, so I've been watching horror movies since my mom took me to see Jurassic Park when I was one less than one years old, and she got kicked out of a theater because I was talking the entire time. <laughs> Not because I'm scared, because I was like, "What is going on?" And so she had to leave the theater. And then probably the most scarring childhood experience is when. I was seven or six and my mom took me to see The Sixth Sense in theaters and that movie's horrifying to see when you're six years old when Misha Barton's like throwing up on the screen as a ghost you have no idea what's going on and from there it kind of just grew so my entire mom's side of the family loves horror movies like whenever we get together when quick fun backstory my Mom is originally from California. Her abuelito or, or her parents, my abuelito, my abuelita, they're originally from Mexico. And so when they came over, they didn't speak English very well. And so they would go to the movies sometimes to learn a little bit more. And then they ended up loving horror movies. So they would just go see horror movies all the time. And so it's like a big part of my family is like we get together and we just talk about our favorite horror movies, like what we all see. And we've got to Halloween Horror Nights together. We go to like spooky trails together. It's our big thing and so their like love made me love horror movies which is was really awesome and my favorite all-time horror movie is black christmas the 1974 version scariest movie i've ever seen i watch it every year on christmas fantastic movie the remake 2006 maybe trash but i've really started to enjoy it because they made the horrible remake that i don't even want to talk about that i have not seen uh, from Blumhouse, which I was very disappointed in uh, two two years ago, I think at this point. But 1974 Black Christmas, fantastic. You can't you you can't untrue uh, to quote Tiffany from Child's Play. A true classic never goes out of style. So the original Black Christmas, hands down, agreed. A great Christmas horror movie. You know, we've yet to review that on the show. I think I we, mean, we we haven't. I mean, we've done Krampus, and my my favorite. We've done Krampus. Yes, oh, so good. Yes. I mean, even even the remake from 2006, like, was it great? No, but it's still better than the 2019 remake that they did. That was it was trash. It was not good. It was, was not good. I haven't even seen it, but everybody said that it got so far away. And I said, OK, if Blumhouse had made that movie and not called a Black Christmas, I would have gone see it. Would have been totally fine with it, totally happy. But you can't remake a movie and then not do anything the same. Like, then why take the name? Go do something yeah. else. Yeah, they they completely fucked that movie up. It could have just been like another Christmas-themed horror movie and they could have called it something completely different. Yeah, so other other side note is that my favorite subgenre is Christmas horror. And then my other favorite subgenre is probably found footage films. Ooh, yeah we just yeah. talked about uh uh as above so below last week yeah really when i went to paris i had seen that movie and so then i went to paris in the catacombs i'm like how can i sneak in here you can't it was a three and a half hour way to get in no but, you know. <sighs> well i mean you're doing it wrong you have to find you know you know some you local french natives and then just you know yeah. sneak into the tunnels and then go splunking there you go did you guys love as above so below i loved it, it it grew on Chris. It grew on like like uh, it, it's weird because like people, especially at the office, can't trust my opinion because I love everything. But like the you just, the, the you camp love trash too, Chris. Yeah, I mean the the, the camping like the, the, most of the movie how it's set up like it was like really serious, really grounded, like somewhat realistic for like you know uh, something to do with 
uh, alchemy and uh, theolo- theology and art, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like Dan Brown, uh, cryptology. Um, and the the scene where like uh, the, when the one of the climbers gets halfway sucked into the ground after the car- burning car gets him, I was like, okay, what? Well, this jumped the shark. What? What's going on? And then. After multiple rewatches, okay, I get it now. Okay, it really grew on me. Yeah, uh, going to the catacombs was one of the creepiest things I've ever done, only because, like, it wasn't really creepy to be under the ground or anything. Like, that's kind of, if if, if there was an earthquake, maybe we all die, I don't know. But what was so creepy was just that everything around you w- was human, right? It wasn't fake, like, how it normally is at the movies, but it felt so real. And one of the only other times where I felt like that is when I went to Halloween Horror Nights a couple years ago and they had the poltergeist house and the house itself wasn't that scary, but the opening when you walk in was literally like you were inside the pool. And so you were walking in with like the graves and people's bones sticking out and those weren't real, but I don't don't know. It was so creepy. And other fun fact, if you ever go see, um, if you love poltergeist, uh, Shudder did this incredible cursed film series, which is about the five movies and one of them where they covered poltergeist i thought was amazing it was such a good series i watched that just you know for funsy sometimes because watching it the first time i learned so much and Dang. and i mean some of it some of it i did know already but i did i did learn quite a bit from poltergeist and i think one of the i forgot what the lot one of the episodes i literally knew nothing about it where i forgot what they were filming but like one of the kids got like massively. They included like the giant helicopter crash that the like, Twilight killed. Zone. Yes, the, yes, yes, yes. That ended up killing someone, like killing a kid, I think, or something it like that. It killed both the kids. It decapitated them, oh. and the head yes. ax. The whole thing was so crazy on that too. Like before, I go off on a tangent, but the fact that they hired children actors and they weren't even supposed to be performing at like two in the morning—crazy lawsuit right there. And the fact that they died and their parents literally witnessed their decapitations—that's got to be one of the worst things that's ever happened. I think didn't they keep that scene in the movie? Yeah, they kept it in the movie. What? Well, they they kept that scene in. They, they cut, cut the, like, right before you see it happen, but the actual crash, it was, like, their best take. So oh, they kept no. It. Yeah, and they cut it right, like, you don't see it, but when you watch Cursed Films, they show you the, fo- I think they show you the actual footage. They do, and they, like, kind of point out, like, you can barely see the blurriness, but they point out, like, but where. But they point it out happens. where it happens. They're like, look here. That's insane. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah you love the Curse Film series, Chris. If you haven't seen it, it's so good. Uh, yeah, I do have yeah. Shutter. Uh, we're not sponsored by Shutter, but thanks. We're not. The, I <laughs> wish we were sponsored by Shutter, but we're not. <laughs> but also, I mean, you want to dive real deep into? I think the the documentary binge that I've been on is what is it? Out of Darkness, Part One and Part Two, where they cover just all the realm of like '80s horror, and the second part was all. I mean, some of my favorite subgenres of horror, which is Italian horror. So they went into Giallo and Mario Bava and Argento and oh, Seventh Heaven for me. It was so good. I love when people, I love looking at lists and they'll be like, here are the top 20 horror movies of the last decade and nothing on it will be foreign. And so I'm like, okay, these people have no idea what they're talking about. Like there are some, like I could go off on a tangent just talking about this. I saw the devil. Unbelievable. Korean horror films? Yes, Trudy Fusan. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Yes. Yes. Yes. Tale of Two Sisters. We've covered some Korean oh, horror. Good. All the Vengeance movies, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, Lady Vengeance, crazy movie. Oh, yeah. I know they're not necessarily just horror movies, but they're very dark films and could go on all day just talking about uh, Korean. Dumpling. Or I think it was Dumpling. Yes, yeah. Fucked up. With Takashi Mike, up. right? Yes. yes. Uh, Itchy the Killer. Yes. Oh, could go on. Audition. So even though that's not Korean, it's Japanese, but Asian horror in general, they go to a whole other level that we just don't and, and probably won't ever touch. There is a crazy movie, if you've never seen it, called Nori, The Curse, also on Shudder. It's on Shudder. And that's my problem with some of them, like The Wailing, Nori, The Curse, both amazing found footage, like documentary style films. They're both two and a half hours long. That's really long. And at some points I'm like, why does it have to be two and a half hour long? But Nori, one of the scariest endings I've ever seen in my life. And then The Wailing, the last like 10 minutes is so, the endings to these movies are so like gripping that you yeah. leave. Okay, I know that was two and a half hours, but the last but 10 fuck. minutes. Yeah, Why? yeah. I it makes you the earn wailing. it. It does. I watched the wailing on a plane with headphones on on my way back from. I think it was. I think we were on our way back from London, so I had to stay up the whole ride. So I just kept watching movie after movie. So I think I watched Clown from like 2013, 2015, and then I watched the wailing, and I was just sitting there like this the whole time, just completely gripped and blown away. People talk so much shit on Clown, and the first time I watched Clown, it had just, it had not come, out, not come out to the U.S. It had come out abroad. I found it illegally, and I watched it. I was so scared. One of five movies that I didn't sleep the entire night. I don't know what it was about Clown. Maybe it's because when he turned into the clown, it felt so real. Yeah. And, like, he couldn't escape it. And then when he was killing kids, but I did not sleep the entire first night I watched that movie. So, so Clown and the Wailing back to back on a flight, I'd be like, oh God. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I slept like a baby that night, which could, you know, we could talk, have a whole other conversation about my mental state for being able to sleep after that. But I was sitting there like on a plane, just sitting there watching this going, oh my God, this is, and I was so sucked in. I completely, for the entire length of both of those movies, I forgot where I was. I was just so into it. So good. We're not talking about any of these we're movies not, on this episode yeah. today, by the way. It's we're talking about Scream, but we're just Amber's okay. brand new, so we have to do this. No, no, no. <laughs> this is amazing content. All of this is staying in, but right, you're right. We brought Amber on. We Amber on to talk about Scream. Yeah. So, so let's uh, let's. So for those who are like 20 minutes deep, you know, we we're sorry, but that no, we're not sorry. This is this is awesome, awesome dialogue. But we're gonna be talking about the first two Scream movies. For any reason you're this deep into the episode and you still haven't watched the movie, well, spoilers. Uh, here are the quick synopses. I don't know, synopsi? Yeah, one of those words uh, for Scream. So, Scream, um, 1996, quote, one year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. And the sequel, uh, released one year later, Scream 2, quote, uh, two years after the first series of murders, as Sydney acclimates to college life, someone donning the ghost face costume begins a new string of killings. Dun dun dun. Uh, yeah, so um, let's get into it. This ingenious meta comedy horror masterpiece of, from Wes Craven. Amber, how about you start? Like, yeah. do you remember 
uh, when you first watched it, your initial thoughts. Yep, my intro to the Scream movies was when I was very young. Scream 3 would always be on, I don't know if it was HBO or Stars, and was constantly on, and uh, I just never, I was like, I never saw Scream 1 or 2, so I didn't really, I couldn't just start on Scream 3, right? I wouldn't know what I was going on. And so, finally, probably, I think, 15, 20 years ago, I, obviously, everybody watched Scary Movie, and it was forever ruined, right? But... I watched, I think, Scary Movie part of it first before I watched the entire Scream movie in tandem. I was just like, this is one of the greatest movies I have ever seen in my life. And it's so crazy. I don't want to dive too deep because we have a whole episode. But the fact that horror was just dying at that point and nobody wanted to see it. And we had those horrible Jason movies that I love, but it was really bad. And literally Wes Craven said, New Nightmare was a fantastic meta concept, but how can I do it better? And then drop Scream on us. And I feel like breathes so much new life into a very, very dying genre. Oh, I could not, I could not agree with you more. I, it's especially fun for me to listen to like director's commentary and listen to Wes talk about Scream. And some of the lines he like, put in there for some of the dialogue that Drew Barrymore said and why he wanted someone like Drew to be in the movie to begin with. And all of the things he was saying were 100% right. The The best thing was he was like, I was intent. I was on putting a big name actress in like Drew in that role because I knew we were going to kill her off first. And I needed to do something like that. You hadn't done that before. You always assume if it's a big name actress, they're going to survive. And he really took the horror genre and everything that we know about it and really flipped it on its head. And, you know, watching that movie, I was like, I'm Randy. I, I connected with Randy hardcore for Scream. Like, I am that horror movie geek that would have been sitting there <laughs> doling out the rules, doing everything. I was Randy when I was growing up. So I was like, yay. So for me, yeah. I was an unfortunate victim of scary movie because I, oh, I, I, no. I was a late bloomer to scream i watched scary movie and it took all the the, the piss and vinegar out of ghost face you know like all the memes Ooh. and then i then later I, was, I, I actually got the i got around to watching the franchise and like you know all the surprise all like all the mystery was was robbed like it, I, I didn't know i just scary movie was in its own weird way was you know it was a a cultural zeitgeist but i didn't know any better and uh yeah so i have to live with that <laughs> i saw so i definitely saw scream first but i saw scare this is very telling i saw a scary movie in theaters with a friend of mine who who i was visiting who convinced her dad and my dad that it was an okay thing for us to all four of us to go see this movie together. So I saw a scary movie in a theater with my father. Yeah. Scary movie, super far too. The first one I saw in theaters yeah, was appropriate. Scary Movie, which is I'm biased, but Scary Movie Three is my all-time favorite out of the entire <laughs> franchise. But Scary Movie One is super vulgar or like goes really far. Uh, especially if you know that movie came out in like 2000 so I don't know how young you were but I, I would have I not was too young to be seeing that in theaters yeah I wouldn't but... know on a part of that movie yeah I look they didn't they didn't stop us 
they let us all go in because we had two adults with us. I'm pretty sure they probably just assumed it was our father's idea, not ours. But we told them straight up, we were like, oh, scary movie's a comedy. And they're like, but it's rated R. And I was like, it's probably cursing and nudity. Oh, no. We have Cinemax at home. I've seen nudity. So, like, nobody really thought anything of it. Um, Famous last words. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Oh, no. Famous last words is, I'll be right back. Oh, yes. Yes. I'll be right back. Very good. I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like, let's take it back to, to Scream. So, um, yes. like, what do we love about this movie? And there's so many things to love. Uh, I mean, like, what the, don't you love about this movie? I, I it's, can't. I think it's a perfect movie. I'm gonna bear the lead. It's perfect. You know, I think it is too. It it may it, it simultaneously makes fun of itself, but also takes the genre somewhere else that it hadn't been before, which is why I think it should be counted amongst the classics. Because it, at the time, did something that no other horror movie was had done or, I mean, not will do. They have done it since. Not to that extent, but, you know. Amber was right. They breathed life into a dying genre. I hate to say that horror was dying at that point, but it really was. And this really sort of reinvigorated that love for the genre. I mean, you had, you know, people like me who really resonated with, like... A character like Randy who loved horror movies and who was dissecting it from that perspective. I did the same thing. I was like, I've watched all of these movies. I think it's so-and-so. And that felt really real and really awesome. But there were other people that, you know, hadn't seen horror movies since the 70s and 80s. And were sort of like, there's nothing good out anymore. There's nothing original. And this really brought them back into it saying, yes, this is what we love about horror. This is what makes this genre so good. Thank you. Like, Wes Craven is back. He's back on top of his shit. Wes Craven is so crazy, like just a story. But can you imagine, you know, being a part of some of the earliest, greatest horror movies? Last House on the Left, incredible original film. The remake, also really fucking good. Both brutal films. Yes, both very, oh, the remakes, I think even like, well, the first one when she like cast trades the guy i was like oh this is like happening yeah. in the 70s. Okay. there are some some horror from 70s and 80s. this is why i feel like i i'm not a gatekeeping person where it's like you're not a real fan if you don't see this but i think that it's important sometimes for fans to go back and watch things from the 70s and 80s to understand like half the reason why these remakes can get away with the shit they can get away with is because of all the crazy shit they did in horror movies in the 70s and 80s where there really weren't any rules, any guidelines. They they did whatever the fuck they wanted because they could. It's they the can't Wild get away West. with any of that shit. Yeah, you can't get away with any of that on screen anymore. Yeah, and I think that's kind of exactly what you just said. Like, he literally wrote the rules. He was a part of the earliest, you know, horror movement that took place, then with Nightmare on Elm Street. And then he rewrote his own rules, which is insane. He was like, oh, I, it, it was like Stephen Hawking, right? Like, we discovered this thing. But what if it actually didn't exist? Let me also write a paper. And that's exactly what happened with Scream. He said, this is how it's always going to be beforehand, except now I'm going to make it so obvious, but then you're not going to know if it's obvious. And the things that I'm going to say you up for aren't actually going to happen yeah he was it's honestly it's also like a master class in misdirection i think all of these things that you know you you watch over and over and over again 
I was watching the movie with the director's commentary on, and he points out every single red herring he gave you as an audience member, and you're like, fuck! My God! You... Yes! Your mind! It's like, we lost him too soon, but, you know, his mind was... It was right there between the... Something as subtle as the police chief... And Dewey, when they're smoking and Dewey has the ice cream cone, he was very intent on saying every time he takes a drag of that cigarette, you have that ice cream cone in your mouth down to when he puts it out. And they do that close up on his boot. And for one second, you're like, oh, my God, is it the chief of police? He it's there are just everything. It's so perfect. Even when you're describing it right now, and I, that's the best thing about commentary, right? It's like you get so much insight because sometimes you just think things just happen in movies, but it's never the case. There's literally a reason for every single thing that takes place, and that is the journey. And just, again, I'm going to say this right before we dive really into it, but Scream is one of two series besides The Evil Dead that might be the most best complete series of all time where every movie has been so thought out and is so taking you in a direction that you never expected but is performed so well oh yeah and i do think that what so i love the scream franchise period um i i do think that there is one of the films out of the four that is slightly weaker than the rest but they're all executed like with precision from start to finish. And the so, fact that Wes was involved makes it even better. So what is the slightly weaker one? Is it Scream 3? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like I secretly love Scream. Honestly, this is going to be bad for this podcast. I think my least favorite is probably Scream 2. I think it's because... Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. Three is like meta meta. They're like, oh, we're literally filming a movie about the movie we introduced in the first one. We decided to make a movie about it. And now we're on the movie set and we have yeah. the same people playing different people, but also those same people are there. Like how crazy is that? That's that's the part that I love. And it's it's that kind of craziness. And honestly, one of the most haunting scenes of the entire Scream franchise occurs in Scream 3. You cannot tell me that, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but you cannot tell me that that scene with Maureen Prescott haunting Sydney's dreams is not the most one of the most eerie looking images I, I can I can still hear it and those those moments are all incredible it's just that one little one little problem with the plot that I have where I'm like really it was right there and it was so obvious but I'm just like no and that's why I think it's probably the weakest of the like one of the weakest of the of the four of them but I still enjoy it I just have that like one tiny issue with it well, before we dive in, Chris, take us back to Scream. What, what are we talking oh, yeah, yeah. So, about? Yeah. Again, you guys are great. This is awesome. So, so we, we, we talked about uh, how, you know, the, the script and the treatment is really tight. Uh, a really smart, ingenious uh, setup. Um, and and uh, I did not know this when I was doing homework, but the, mo- the original Scream was inspired by a real-life case of the Gainesville Ripper. And I know both of you are huge true crime fans. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, I feel like this is also sort of a trope that you see with Wes, right? He takes, uh, no matter how something big or small, that's based in reality and turns it into something incredible. Nightmare on Elm Street was also based on a true story. A guy like died in his sleep or something like died from like didn't die in his sleep from having a nightmare or something like that it it was like a whole 
If we ever do, I know we're going to cover Nightmare on Elm Street at some point, so I will actually make sure I'm saying the correct thing when we get there, when we get to that point. But he always takes something that's just, like, slightly based in reality and turns it into something incredible. You know, when I learned that it was, like, kind of based off the Gainesville Ripper, I was like, yeah, that's it's not surprising. Thank you. Good job. It goes back to that age-old story that, like, you know, life is stranger than fiction, right? Like, it's yeah. it really feels that way. He literally takes something. Ah, Wes Craven. So sad that he's dead because he'd be just one of the coolest people to me. And I would love to have just a five-minute conversation about everything in our lives. So I guess that would really be, like, a five-hour conversation. Yeah. You know, I'd say it was five minutes and then just keep like pushing it along. He'd be so old at that point. Maybe he wouldn't know time is relative. But I think that's what he does so well is he reads something and then his warped mind is like, what if we did it this way? But obviously it's real life. So it's something that could happen. So it would scare people. Absolutely. I mean, we, I th- Ryan and I touched about this before. Like, obviously, we we you know we're fans of all spectrum of horror, but like, so there's something something so sinister about like the the practicality uh, of this. Where, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and like, it's totally viable for two kids, you know. And I mean, it's I I think personally, I think it's a you know, redheaded excuse, but like you could you could say, oh yeah, I mean, you know, kids who are mentally unstable, who who come from a, a from a home of neglected abuse, or you could blame it on violence and media, like you know that that they, they drive people to do these real t- uh, atrocities, and it does happen, but like the fact that you know Wes Craven just spins it in a way where it's equally as terrifying but like it's it, it gets your blood going and that's you know the, those thrills and the, there's the not not cheap thrills like actual real thrills and real yeah. scares um clearly, don't you play movies chris yeah, yeah. <laughs> movies don't create psychos this is true that, that's exactly that's exactly my point what that's why i'm saying that, that's why but that, i mean but that the, but in, in scream 2 like that's like it takes that premise and and like makes it a legitimate like meta commentary is like oh mickey oh, yeah. his entire premise is like oh i'm doing this so i can make a star myself and i won't get away with it because violence and media that's my okay. that's my defense and it's like oh my west craven what, you're blowing says, my mind here. he even says it's all about the trial it's not about the crime anymore nowadays it's all about the trial and yes it's kind of dated because he lists some of the lawyers that defended oj but that's also just sort of what makes it, because if you go back to that time, there were arguments being made for that exact thing. It was all about violence in the media. People who were kids who were committing mass mass murder, shooting the whole nine, they were blaming they were blaming violent video games and violent movies and using it as an excuse instead of just saying, no, it's not the parents' fault, like Mrs. Loomis tried to, you know, fault and it's not about violence in the media it's about mental health and being aware of your your child's mental status maybe this is actually a propaganda movie and we never realize and Wes is like oh horror movies are dying but I need to get people to start watching horror movies so I'm gonna do a movie where then I explain how it's not the problem what's going on in the rest of the world and then it's reverse psychology wow I dig it. 
That's like, <laughs> you know, I'll accept it. I'll accept it because I would <laughs> The double twist we were expecting. My God, Wes Craven. That's some M. Night shit. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, but yeah, uh, do, do, you, do either of you have any other thoughts about like the, the writing and the development of this, of this film? Uh, the writing's incredible, right? The last of the first, Scream 1 and then kind of Scream 2, both of them have like good written out endings where the characters are really talking, but the ending of Scream 1 is so good at the delivery between two characters where we see two characters become completely crazy and like really immerse and, you know, evolve into what they're supposed to be in this movie. And Matthew Lillard, has got to have one of the greatest performances in history because he changes characters so much and every word, every line he delivers like is quotable, right? We feel woozy over here. Let's face it, your mom's no Sharon Stone. My parents are gonna kill me. Like, My every- parents are gonna be so mad at me. I, I use that gif as a response for so many things. Literally everything is so quotable that he says, like, even when they're like stabbing each other, like, ugh, I just, it's the writing and, and it's also his delivery. It's both. It's together, yeah. like, could not be anybody else. And which is why Matthew Lillard, such an underrated actor and had just incredible horror movie performances in the 2000s. And, and it's, oh, yeah. it's wild because Matt Lillard, we, again, we're talking about many worlds theories, you know, you know, during and before we started recording. Matt Lillard was pretty much cast by accident. Like he was accompanying his girlfriend at the time for some unrelated audition. And then uh, the casting director, uh, Lisa Beach, like saw Matt in the hallway and just straight up asked him to audition and, you know, and he crushed it. I, I don't know how much, you know, prep or, you know, maybe it's just a testament to his natural charisma. But that's insane to me that, you know, like, you know, he just just literally was picked out of the hallway. And then he just, that he scored I, it on the they spot. They asked him to audition, but I think he initially, I could be wrong about this, but I think he initially uh, auditioned for Skeet's part for Billy. And they were like, nah, but you could play his friend, though. And then there it was. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know how entirely true that part of it is, though. But I know I didn't know that story at all. Yeah, I know that the movie was originally supposed to be called Scary Movie. It was changed to Scream but also Matthew Lillard's line also sort of contributed to that because at the end of the movie, when he said, it's a scream, baby, they were just like, hmm, might be the name of the movie now. I think I also read some, I think, I don't know if it was like Wes Craven or someone else, but like they were inspired by like the Michael Jackson album, the same name. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they had, they had hats made. Some of the hats said scary movie, some of them said scream. So by the end of the film, they were just like, nah, I think, I think we have to go away from scary movie and call it scream don't it's not that i don't like the scream is just a fine title like now it associates but i kind of wish maybe they called it something else because people like do they scream often do they scream before they kill see the killer i don't know could it have just been called Ghostface? like i i don't i don't know if it needed to be called scream it probably could have been called anything whereas other movies needed to be called like it needed to be friday the 13th it needed to be halloween it needed to be nightmare on elm street like scream is just a general saying yeah People just- it needed to be sleepaway camp like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that yeah that yeah I I mean I 
I just now I can't think of it being called anything else. I think it's just it has all that em- emotional weight, the cinematic legacy. I mean, I think to me, like, you know, uh, on top of that, like Scream is just such a succinct, impactful word by itself. Like I, to me, it's just like, you know, it, I think but I think that's also tying into his history. It's like it just has this connotation now and like trying to change it up, you know, will be like blasphemy. But, you know, I mean, Amber yeah. has a great point. It could have been uh, the ghost face. It could have been. Uh, I don't know. Jeez, uh, it could have been stab for all we know with the amount of stabbing they do in this movie. And then they do they do that in Scream too, though. <laughs> yes, it should have been called stab or something with like Woodsboro, right? I know they move out of Woodsboro eventually, but like Woodsboro itself is just a cool name. Yeah, it could have been literally the title of Gail's book. It could have been the Woodsboro Murders. People actually, if they called it that, you could have done that you know, Blair Witch thing where they try to pass it off as a real thing. That also could, that could have been a totally different movie if they even went there with it. I'm just happy they didn't. Cause I feel like, I mean, maybe not then it had been done to death, but now it certainly has. Yeah. Uh, speaking of locations, uh, throwing this to Amber's direction, we referenced it, we may reference it at the beginning of the show, but you, one of your passions and pastimes, you love visiting sets and locations for filming so uh what do you thought about the shooting locations for screen one and two and have you visited any of these locations before not so i have driven past the house from screen three which is a mansion i think um the movie cruel intentions i think might have also been filmed there so i have driven past the mansion from screen three that they all like the ending scene uh, I wanted to go to the filming location of Scream 5, which was taking place in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I visited my sister. She lives in Rayford, which is not that far from there. But I ended up not going because they were doing a lot of inside scenes. They were filming at a bowling alley and such. And with the pandemic, I just didn't think they were going to let people inside. But I heard that they changed like the outside to say Woodsboro and stuff, which would have just been cool enough to see. Yeah. Uh, but I think for one and two, I would love to go. I haven't been to either. I cannot recall. But I just think like where her house is on the ranch and like the one house at the end, which is on a cottage, it would just be so cute. And I wonder where, I don't know if I know where Scream 2 was filmed. I want to say it was filmed pretty close to like LA and they picked a college out there, even though they kind of made it seem like it was more in the middle of nowhere. I would go fucking film in, I mean, I would go visit the house that they use for Stu's house at the end of. Yeah, that little cottage where it's kind of looks like it's in the middle of nowhere. That would be really cool. Such a beautiful fucking house. So it looks like uh, the fictional Windsor, Windsor College is supposed to, like, canonically is set in Ohio. But they use shooting locations in Atlanta, Georgia, and L.A. So filming for Scream 2 primarily took place in L.A., um, and they also spent four weeks in Atlanta um, as well. Yeah, I know that they did a lot of stuff in L.A. for all of them. Obviously, Scream 3 takes place on a studio plot so and takes place in L.A., so most of that. I have seen some of the stuff there, like what would be the outsides, like the really infamous, why was Jay and Silent Bob in this movie, <laughs> right? That kind of area I've seen before. I will talk about that at a later point, but I'm like, why were they in Scream 3? I don't know if I ever knew the answer to that um when when did scream 3 come out like 2000 scream 3 i thought was like could be just 2000 right because there's 
this movie, actually what's crazy about the new Scream movie that's coming out, that means that a Scream movie will be every decade. Because the first one and second one came out in the 90s. The third one came out in 2000. The fourth one came out in 2011. And then this one will come out in 2022. Holy shit. Fanning. I do. After, after they stopped with Scream 4, I was like, okay, Scream 4 wasn't necessary, but I really enjoyed it. So I'm happy they did it. But then I was like, they can stop now, right? And now all of a sudden we're getting a Scream 5. And I'm like, now what are you going to do? Now, I know Matthew Lillard has, like, come out of the woodwork and is like, you know, it's plausible that Stu could be alive. Can I, like, I'll come back and, like, be the villain for the fifth one. That would be an interesting bookend. They really tried to do that, actually, in the sequel, is that they wanted him to be involved again. But they didn't, they're like, no, you definitely die. Like, we couldn't, we wanted to make this realistic. So I know, and I'm sure you both know, that he is in Scream 2. He's just in a cameo scene where he's, like, at a party. Uh, and you can see him, like, super brief. I've watched that movie so many times. How have I missed that? Yeah, he's at one of the fraternity parties. Very brief cameo. Um, and, like, I, they almost don't want you to see him. So I, don't, I can't remember exactly where it is because then it would, like, destroy the part of the movie. But um, what, what were you saying you found, Chris? Oh, sorry. I, 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 I just got really excited. So um, so uh, I found the official reason why Jay and Silent Bob uh, were in... Uh, were made their cam in Scream 3. So uh, back then, um, Dimension Pictures, which was previously Miramax, uh, which was headed up by Bob Weinstein, uh, Miram Miramax was a, a huge platform for Kevin Smith's View Askew Universe movies. Bob Weinstein actually requested Smith and Jason Mewes to make a brief cameo, and uh, it was also a paid cameo. And like with both of them being movie junkies, they were they're they were excited, so they they uh, accepted, and it was just a one day shoot. Uh, so yeah, basically, uh, Bob Weinstein asked them to be in the movie. I think that's some of the best parts of Scream, though, and that whole entire franchise are like these little tidbits that just seem like so happenstance, but really sort of just make the environment that they're creating for that movie. And like jumping off the top, can we talk about like the Easter eggs? Like Wes Craven yes. like, dressed up as Freddy as a janitor, and then like there's a so many references to like Halloween and John Carpenter. But like, what are your favorite Easter eggs uh, that you've seen, or maybe is there or on these? Uh, if you rewatched it, like was there something you saw before that you never noticed? I think my favorite one is definitely Wes in the or like OG Freddy getup as the janitor. I do think that. My favorite, like, West-related thing is the line he made Drew Barrymore say about the first nightmare being a classic and being perfect, but the rest of them were all shit. That was all Wes. He threw that in there. <laughs> I, and the fact that he did it, I was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> very tongue-in-cheek. Um, I love it. Very, and it yeah, and I, and I love that. But they had so many other little tidbits in there. Like, um, uh, the principal is... Harry Winkler. Yeah, yeah, he had his jacket his from Happy Days and in his, his closet. It is in there. Yeah. yeah, just like all those like little things that just sort of string everything together and and make everything so perfect. Um, but I definitely think the nightmare line is probably one of my favorites mm -hmm. from the I, first one. The second one is is Liv Schreiber's dog is actually in it. He asked Wes if he could just like be in one scene. And so crazy that he's in those movies. By the way, like they casted him in the first movie, and you can only see him on the TV screen when he gets sentenced for the murder. And yep. then they had no idea they were going to be making a second movie, and then they made a second movie, and he's in it. And then he's in the third movie, like. It's kind of kind of crazy, but to to get back to it, my favorite Easter egg is when they watch Halloween. I don't yes. know why I love it so much. 
But it's just because Jamie Kennedy is such a fan at that point, and he's trying to get everybody else to be a fan. He's like, come watch this movie. And then everybody could literally care less and because they just want to party and drink. And he's like, guys, this movie's so good. And then they start getting into it, and I think he just gets excited. Especially when he's like, when do we get to see Jamie Lee's breasts? Because, you know, she's like, they go into the whole screen queen trope and... Uh. When I was watching this scene, like, specifically that scene, like, uh, well, one, you know, where you know, still kind of living in a pandemic society. But two, where were all those college parties where you just get together and watch horror movies? I wanted to go to one so bad. Like, Jamie Kennedy, where where were you at at our college experiences? Because, you know, if... I, I did yeah. that. You did that? Yeah. Brian, why I mean, didn't you I invite us? Like, I know you didn't know me back then, but why I didn't you invite both of us? Like, I didn't throw, like, massive parties, but I... I don't know how it happened, but I ended up showing Insidious to, like, a group of girls who, like, wanted to come in and watch it. And I purposely left the room during that ju- that first jump, that first jump scare with the, with the red-faced demon, with the lipstick demon. And the screaming that incurred behind that door just, like, made my heart sore. I was like, yeah, okay. But yeah, I was always that dweeb that would, like, sit in my room with the lights off because I lived in a single. Like, with the lights off, just watching horror movies. And I left my door open for anybody to just come and go as they pleased. And people would be like, oh, what are you watching? And would just come in. So they were like, next time you're watching one of these, like, I love horror, you gotta tell us. I don't know how it happened, but I, I managed to get a bunch of girls to sit down in a room with the lights off to watch Insidious. That's beautiful. When I when I when I when I was listening to you say like you left the room, I thought the stores gonna go where you would come out in like a black cloak and the same mask, and then you're gonna be in the room with them. Why didn't you do that, Ryan? I flicked, I flicked the lights on and off. Oh, though. okay. And singing in the window. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And they were all sitting there, like, huddled together. And I was like, see, this this is how I want to spend the rest of my day. You know? Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I was that dweeb that would just, like, casually watch horror movies. One of my very good friends, who was my maid of honor at my wedding, she met me. I started, right before a makeup class, I started watching The Haunting in Connecticut and had to pause it halfway through to, like, go to class and come back. And I was like, hey, I was in the middle of watching The Haunting in Connecticut before class. You want to come back and watch the end of the movie? She's like, yeah, sure. That was it. It was just... You're, you're so lucky when I was in college, like I was also one of the people who like was only like I, I, I was like the only horror fan around. Like it was really hard trying to find other horror. So like so I would just go walk. There was this really, really awesome um, indie uh, rental store. And it was like a it's it, like a, a mecca to like all of cinema. And I would just go there and, and you know, rent as many horror movies I watched. And like I definitely knew. So especially freshman year. So my roommates thought it was weird. I was just like, oh, look at all these horror movies. And um, it was for Temple. They had the same like we had a library and I was an orientation leader there. And they had uh, when I did my first year, then I became an orientation for incoming students. And I had to retake the tour of Temple. I went to Temple University and they have a library there. And they said, oh, did you know that you can rent DVDs here? And they have the biggest horror collection in like all of Philadelphia. And it went downstairs. They were some massive horror fans. And that's how I ended up watching all of these. Like that was the first time I ever saw Audition, which is one of my favorite films of all time, mainly because the guy there was such a fan. He also is the reason I started watching Breaking Bad. He's like, you have to watch the show. And it was like halfway through the third season. He's like, here's season one and two. And it was crazy because back then you only found out about movies through word of mouth or if they were coming out, like nobody was checking online being like, here's the top 20 horror movies you need to yep. see. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Buzz, BuzzFeed wasn't yeah, around. That, Listicles weren't around. BuzzFeed and, wasn't around. Right, and I just sort of like consumed horror by whatever was on. That's how I accidentally... My, the very first horror movie I watched was when Child's Play 3 was on basic cable. And I thought it was the funniest shit. And I thought it was genius. I was like, oh my god, yes, a child's toy that kills people. That's fucking cool. Why didn't I think of that? It's because I was, you know, a tiny little thing. But yeah, you know, but I was also like, I I, I made people, I found out about Repo the Genetic Opera through a makeup tutorial I was watching. Somebody was listening to the soundtrack in the background and was like, oh, in case anybody was curious, this is from a movie called Repo the Genetic Opera. And I said, what the fuck is that? I, I never finished that makeup tutorial because I sat down and I found the movie and that was it. That's the way you used to consume all of that stuff. That is how I found Black Christmas, too. My mom and my aunt used to talk about how it was this movie that terrified them so much. They could barely sleep when they first saw it. They're like, oh, we really remember. My mom saw it when she was like six years old. So she couldn't remember that much about it. And I was at this DVD place on campus that was going out of business next to the library store. And they were selling everything for super cheap. And I picked it up. I was like, is this the movie they're always talking about? And I told my mom, she's like, it doesn't look like the remake. It's the original. And we watch it. And uh, I didn't sleep the entire night that night either. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just going back, like, isn't it crazy how you discover movies like Scream and this, like people, and then people try to get you to watch them for so long. Like I, I had a roommate and she had never seen any of the Scream movies. She's like, I'm ready to watch them. And we watched them during the pandemic. She's like, how did I not watch these movies? Because they're not just for hardcore horror fans, right? They're also for casual fans because they're just really fun films. Yeah, my husband does not like horror movies, but I catch him chuckling at some of the lines, especially from Scream 2. I'm like, okay, you're enjoying this. You're never going to admit it, but you're enjoying it. So that makes me happy. But yeah, it's for, and even, like I said, he's not even really a big horror fan. Like he loved Train to Busan and he likes zombie horror, but he's not really like as much of a fanatic as I am. Like, I brought a Chucky doll home, and he, you know, explicitly told me that it wasn't supposed to go in the bedroom, but there he is. He's on my you, nightstand. You won that battle. <laughs> I did. Well, I won the battle in this apartment. He's moved apartments since then. So I, I won the battle for this particular space we're in. But yeah, like, you know, I think it's, it's yeah, all of, I love, I love hearing the completely unique experiences of how people get exposed to horror and whether that made them love or hate the genre. Both of you brought up a really good point or interesting point. So, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the biggest comedic elements of both movies is, you know, the meta commentary, subversion of tropes, rewriting the rules. Um, So obviously, like, longtime horror fans, you know, will will be in on the joke. But would, would you, would either of you consider the Scream franchise like a gateway horror franchise like like ushering up like a brand new uh legion of fans yeah i think so um because on top of screen being the movie that it is the amount of references that are made in that movie you can make a list just from that and even looking around like the video store there's uh, a poster for a jamie lee movie and just all of the conversations about jamie lee's early career from halloween to prom night um, and even the one uh, girl in the video store who said, what's that horror movie with E.T.'s mom? Like, 
you know, there you can compile your own list just based on the references from those movies alone. Yeah, and I I think that's the best part. I think you said it really well, and it is a gateway also because it's so relatable. Because most of the people you're trying to show are a younger generation still, or around our ages, and that all the Scream movies kind of take place around our age. And now, like the newest one, Scream Four, and who knows where Scream Five will be. But it, it's easy to make it relatable to people because they went to high school, they also went through college. These are things that happen. This is how they acted with their girlfriends. This is what they did with for fun, and especially now. That's why I love, like, I know we're not talking about Scream 4. I fuck so hard with Scream 4. Wow, love Scream 4. Yes. Or would be my favorite if the ending of Scream 1 wasn't so good. But it's because, like, you can, they, like, try to continue to grow with the genre. Like, here, now we have the implementation of cell phones so people can relate to those characters. It's not just happening, like, something like The Witch, where you didn't live in that time period, right? So you would never understand. Hell yeah. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. We, uh, to me, Matthew Lillard, easily my favorite uh, actor in performance. But between screen one and two, what what are your favorites and, and, and why? I love Nev Campbell as an actress and I love her as a final girl. I think she does a brilliant job as Sydney. Um, but Randy and Stu are two of my favorite performances from from Scream. I I was I was so mad when they killed Rand- I understand why they killed Randy, but I was so mad when they killed him in Scream too because I connected so much with him. I was like he's the fan and he like I kind of saw myself in him. Um and again, just the lines that they gave him, they're so quotable. You use them all the fucking time. And yeah, I so yeah, I think Final girl aside, because I think that's that's a whole different conversation. But Nev Campbell aside, um, yeah, I, I would have to say Stu and Randy. Because Courtney Cox is fine. Like, she doesn't do a bad job. But those aren't the people that I, like, look for on screen when I watch these movies. I always get, I'm always sort of looking for certain people. Like, waiting for certain lines to happen. And even though I've seen movies a billion times, um, if I know that a specific line said by a character I'm enjoying is coming up, I will wait. And then keep going all my day. <laughs> so yeah. Rye said it really well. I think you're looking for certain characters and you look forward to those characters. And I like Stu just Matthew Lillard just steals the scream and or steals the the screen in Scream. One Stu screams too. That was totally a valid statement. <laughs> and I really do like Sarah Michelle Geller's character in Screen 2. Like it's very quick. She's not in the movie that long. But I think it's because we're so used to seeing her. I guess she had died and I know what you did last summer. But when she became Buffy, like she just became the ultimate final girl because she was badass. And to watch her then die again on screen or or right then, you know, was also a lot of fun because it's not the typical what you pictured her as anymore. And because this was like, again, the beginnings of her career. So we were getting to see like her really evolve as a character. And so I really enjoy her character a lot in Scream 2, even though it's super brief. I think it's I think it's fun to go back, especially with Scream 2 and see all of those actors that are in it that also went on to do other horror movies in the 90s, like all in early 2000s in that same time. Joshua Jackson and um, uh, Rebecca Gayhart were both in Urban Legends. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar was in I Know What You Did Last Summer. 
like they all had their they all dipped their toes into the horror franchise into the horror genre at some point or another and i think that i i had never really noticed it before while i was watching it again and i was just like shit portia de rossi pre-plastic surgery rebecca gayhart and like all of these people that have all gone into you know that's right. Two big people going to Urban Legend. But also, like, the opening scene already in Scream 2. Really, all the Screams have incredibly great opening scenes. Scream 2 in the movie theater has got to be one of the most just memorable because it was so freaky how it laid out. But I don't really know, had Jada or, or, or Omar done a movie like that before? Or were they doing it just because Scream had, like, blown up? I don't know. I th- but there would be two others that- I think Jada contacted Wes when they found out about Scream 2 and she was like, I want to do this. I think. I remember that correctly. Um, yeah. But I, I do also enjoy Jada's commentary at the beginning where she talks about the black element in, in horror cinema. There is a great documentary on Shudder called Horror Noir and it talks about african-american black horror movies and black exploitation and all about exactly what she was talking about about what she was saying the black element of movies and i think that that was also super important um but also at that time that was not a conversation that people were willing to have which is was also kind of her point i'm looking at jada's filmography um she really hasn't done a lot of horror prior to scream to like the only thing i could uh pull up is uh this is kind of this is kind of funny because like uh, uh we had we had a, a guest on our uh, uh you know at Zenoscope you know tied to this uh so her first role was in the horror comedy film Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight from 1995. Yes. Oh my god! With Billy Zane. <laughs> what? Oh, Billy Zane. But has she done much horror since Scream Two? I don't. Um, let me see. Uh, but, I don't think so. Uh, let's see. So Scream 2 was in 97. Damn. I wouldn't say that for anybody, though, in the Scream series. Like, I think about, okay, Matthew Lillard did some stuff. Uh, who else? I know when we go to Scream 4, like, Emma Roberts is essentially a Scream queen and does a bunch of things. And mm-hmm. uh, Rory Culkin, one of my all-time favorite actors, he does a lot of horror. I love him. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Lords of Chaos. If you haven't. Yes. Thick yes. Movie. Best movie I watched in the pandemic. One of the best movies of the last decade. He's amazing. I love Rory Culkin. But other than that. I feel I'm bad like, that the band didn't agree with the movie. They were just like, no. Oh, they didn't like it? Mayhem. Did not enjoy. <laughs> to be fair, they weren't supposed to like mainstream stuff. And the movie made mainstream things. That's so. true. That's but true. I, I think who else in that franchise are people who are like consistently in horror movies like Courtney Cox definitely isn't I don't really know if David Arquette has done that much stuff I mean I guess we could sort of count Nev Campbell she did do the craft yeah I would count her I don't know what else Jamie Kennedy did that was horror I mean his career was horrifying (laughs) mask after that which was gonna say son of the mask what decision was that okay and Jim Carrey pulled a fast one on him. He went to Jim Carrey to ask for his blessing. And Jim Carrey was like, yeah, sure, go ahead, do it. Jim Carrey pulled the fast one on you. <laughs> he knew that was going to flop. Uh, and then Jamie Kennedy did what What, what was, oh, oh, Malibu's Malibu's Most Wanted. Wanted. Uh, no. <laughs> Terrible movie. The Jamie Kennedy experiment. Terrible. Ugh. 
Kareem yeah. could arguably be the peak of his career. That's like, oh. yeah, no, that's a fair statement. I'll I'll agree with you. Yep, that was the peak of. Sorry, but, Jamie Kennedy, it was the peak of your career. Honestly, the peak of all of their career, besides Courtney Cox and I guess like David Arquette's now like a wrestler, like Skeet got into Riverdale, but like it could be arguably everyone's peak. So, well, yeah, because after Scream, Skeet and Nev both did the craft, but you know. That, was really that movie's like a, is like a cult following, but is nowhere near as big as Scream. No, not at all. Not at all. Courtney friend, so she was like off to the moon at that point. But yeah, she was. Yeah. Else? I mean, there was Cougar Town after that, but she never really did. I feel like Scream is the horror movie that she does. I don't. I don't think she really did anything horror related. I think Courtney Cox might have been the only character that you know whose career took off huge after that i think everybody else was kind of just b-list for the rest of their life um i mean well i mean i, I think some like jada i mean jada hasn't done horror so oh, that's like, fair in scream 2 i'd say jada she's huge. yeah and omar epps went on to be on house so he he had a pretty good career as well yeah but i would consider i don't know if i'd consider any of them like mega stars like i think i consider courtney cox a pretty mega star uh, but I don't know if I consider anybody else in that, in that, like Scream 4, there's a bunch of people like I consider, or Emma Roberts, I consider a mega star. He's done some horror. She's done, and between American Horror Story and Scream Queens, and Black- now Scream 4, yeah, Black Coast Daughter. So she's, do- she's had, she's definitely dipped more than a toe into the horror genre. I have two questions. Would you consider Timothy Oliphant as successful? I think he's very successful, but yes, uh, yeah. And okay. what a beautiful man! Um, not much in horror though. Like uh, he, I know I he's mean, in the crazy Netflix for canceling the Santa Clarita Diet. Uh, oh, Drew Barrymore. Well, that's unfair because she was already a mega. Star, yeah, she was already right? established. Yeah. She had she had a head start. That's true. See how easily we forgot about her because she was killed was, at the oh. beginning of the. He pulled, he pulled an Alfred Hitchcock. He killed the main, the main character. And you know, star. did either of you watch the Scream TV show? I was just talking no. about this, like, um, because I, I was like, uh, you I know, tried. a couple of weeks I old. Get through the first episode. No, I love. I thought the Scream TV show was really good. Actually, the new one that they did on VH1 or whatever. Oh my god, painful. Spoiler alert. What is two Scream TV shows? What? What? I'm sorry. Yes. Oh. Yes. Who? There, Tyga the rapper was one of the killers and my boyfriend and I were like, this has got to be the most. Like he didn't even finish it because it was getting really painful. But and then when he was the killer, I was like, oh my god, this is just horrible. But the first. I thought the first set of series, which was two seasons, was really good. And I, they tried to do the same thing with it, right? They casted Bella Thorne. She's huge. And then they killed her off in the first five minutes of the show. But also probably because they couldn't afford her, by the way. Probably. So there's two. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'd be more than willing to like give it another shot. But I remember sitting and trying so hard to watch it. And I was like, this is painful. I can't. It gets better. Uh, season one and season two, I really enjoyed and I was happy with the, like, they did the the new mask that people didn't like, the Brandon James mask. It was fine. I know that, I don't think they had the rights to Ghostface, so they couldn't technically use his mask. Uh, and then they brought back the mask for the Taiga, which was the season three, but it was a whole new cast. But like, ugh, ugh don't, 
Don't that do it. That sounds like a mess. That sounds like a mess. Oh, I see. Okay, so seasons one, two, and the special were under MTV, yeah. technically. And then season three, tagline, Resurrection, which came out in 2019. That's under VH1. Okay, great. Okay, I'm okay. all cut up. Okay, well, I, uh, Amber, I trust your judgment. I will definitely check out one and two at least. Uh, but three, so three, can I skip that? Or should I just do it for the hate watching? Chris, maybe this will be the true judge of Chris's movie taste, right? If he comes back to me and says, scream three, five out of five, I'll be like, okay, can't Chris, Chris, <laughs> I don't know. Like, my metric, Chris after that. My metric is so strange. Like, I don't know. Like, like Amber, we had, we had a, a really entertaining conversation like last week where, you were you were saying, oh Chris, I'm so glad with your hot takes about Spiral because we got into like a 30 minute conversation about Spiral, um, and like I was ripping apart like <laughs> so. even worse than I was. Like I thought it was bad, but oh um, no, right? Just watched I it this was, past weekend. <laughs> I just I watched it twice. Twice. Wow. I watched it twice. I watched it. What was it? Friday night, and then I watched it Saturday morning. Very I, recently. I because. Yes, like the, like yesterday. Yes, <laughs> yesterday because I, I, I was I would remember being like just so angry that it was only being released in theaters. I said I will pay full movie price just to watch it at home. I'm not ready to go back to a theater. And I texted Chris, and I was like, "It's available to rent. My time has come. Tom isn't home tonight. I'm watching fucking Spiral." And. I, I remember starting the movie and then starting to like text Chris and I was like, all right, I pro I'm not going to do a play-by-play. -play. Oh, but you I'll did though. Till it's you, over. You, 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 you. I did a play-by-play -play at the beginning, but then I stopped and I waited until the movie was over. I, I totally understand my fans out there loved it or hated it. I loved it. I have, I have, I think I still have 24 hours left on that rental. I'm probably going to watch it again. I loved it. Wait. <laughs> Okay, this is a question. Did you love Jigsaw though? Yes. Okay, I love Jigsaw. You loved Jigsaw. That was the thing you did too. We did. I we did. It. We redid the entire. We did franchise. a marathon of episodes we like a, a couple years ago. Yeah. Oh, so good. And I, I, I was sitting there and I was like, I totally understand where they were going with this. I can't believe how fucking timely it was. I went on a whole rant about it. I loved. I fucking loved it. Although yeah. I do think it should have been called Motherfucker, a book like the Book of Saw, because there's too much, too much of that going on. Maybe that's what happens when we have Chris Rock and Sam Jackson in a movie together. See, I thought there was so the there was too little Sam Jackson, and they hyped them up so <laughs> much in the advertisement. They always he definitely wasn't in it enough. He definitely wasn't in it enough. This is not the Jigsaw. This is not the Spiral podcast. We'll have we'll bring Amber back <laughs> on for those hot takes. I, I yeah, I need to have this conversation. This needs to happen because. I don't, I, I don't, I need to like pick both of your brains and like talk through some of the shit. Okay, we will. I was so into it. I was so into it. <laughs> uh, so just, just to rein it back, uh, 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 we're a little over time. So I just want to, uh, you know, get some final remarks. Obviously, we all love Scream 1 and 2. So like, I guess, um, I think my, I think my, Last question that I want to get your thoughts on um, before we get into ratings. And then obviously there's any other last thoughts you want to throw in as well. But what is the greatest part of the legacy of Scream? Because it, it's undeniably oh. like, you know, cult classic, a, a milestone, a hallmark of horror. But what's the most important 
part of, the, of its legacy yes, to that you? That is a loaded question, my friend. Oh, yeah. I want these hot takes. I want the delicious spice. Oh, God. And we and this is just based on the fact that we're only doing the first two movies right now. Yeah. <laughs> or, or do you want to table it until we finish three and four? I'm sorry. I, sometimes I go for the big questions. Because <sighs> like, I, because you two are so articulate and I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear it. Oh, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's so much here. Like I like Chris is like, we're low on time. But also here's this question that's going to be a like 20 minute rant. Um, but without diving too much, I think the lasting legacy of Scream is that it breathed life into a dying genre, as I said before. And I think that it's just really smart. I will admit that I almost never know who the killer. If you guys do Scream 3 and Scream 4, I am here for it. The only time I've ever figured out the skill killer was in Scream 4 very early on in the movie. And I will tell you why. But other than that, I never really like am 100% sure on somebody. And I think that's what makes Scream so good is because there's so many red herrings, because there's so much going on, because they're just dropping random stuff in it and trying to make you think twice about it. Uh, it, it just is a fun movie that's relatable. People are going to love it. I think Scream will always go down as one of the greatest franchises, but I will tell you it will never go down as the most popular franchise because Ghostface is just a character that can be played by anywhere. Whereas Michael, Jason, Freddy, Leatherface, they're all the same person. So that is the only problem with Ghostface, but also the legacy of Ghostface is that he's so popular, but he can be anybody. Whereas those other characters are characters that you know who they are, unless you saw part five, Jason, and you're like, why was it this guy's dad? But okay, that's another time. Or that one Jason movie where they set up for it to be Corey Feldman and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh right uh sorry sorry to set up uh like a, a an hour-long question i'm sorry but uh like, fuck you for that but sure <laughs> um i mean I, I i think amber sort of hit the nail on the head i think that when scream came out it definitely breathed life into a dying genre but you know when scream 4 came out everyone was asking the same question like what could you possibly do to this to to do to replicate the first one to breathe new life and it did um and i think that it that's why it works so well was the exact commentary that they have for the movie so like how would you do a reboot how would you do this how would you do that and everything that they discuss in the fourth one which we will get to is what is what made the fourth one so successful and again i was one of those people that was like we really don't need this movie turns out when it's done right you do need the movie. So I think on both occasions, it breathed new life, not necessarily for the fourth one into a dying genre, but certainly for the first one. And I think the fourth one really brought it back from the dead, you know, breathed a different kind of life into it to be like, hey, for all the people who are doing reboots and remakes, here's how you do it. And I'm just happy that Wes got to be a part of that before he died. So I think that, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yes, perfect. Yeah, I, what a I, question, man. Yeah, I know. I know. I just, I love. I want. I want that. Those spicy takes. But uh, I, for me, like, I, I definitely agree with you, both of you, uh, both of you. And uh, uh, you know, I have to, you know, if I can narrow it down to like two core themes, like the ingenuity and the accessibility. You know, especially how you know it's there's something for everyone. Like, especially with the meta humor and like the fact that you know it's it's it's. It knows it knows its target audiences, whether it's like the casual college age individual or like you know a diehard fan, and um, and it 
it does it with this such expert craft. It, it, it's it they make it look so flawless. Um, and that's like you know Wes Craven at the wheel. I mean, how could it not be? So uh, yeah, I think it. I think the the beautiful thing about Scream is it's 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 Wes's touch, right? It's the one. Th- it's like he puts his touch on on the franchise, and you know it's going to be something special. Which is why when I watched Scream Four, I was mad at myself that I ever doubted it to begin with. Um, but yeah, and even but even if it was obvious to you who the killer was, it's just the way that they do all of it. Um, and why I think that that's all thanks to us. Watch Scream Four because you said that you meant you doubted Scream Four. How long did it take for you? Um, I saw it in theaters. I bought oh, a ticket. I doubted down. it. I so doubted it, but I was going to go see it anyway. And I was like, this is my chance to see a Scream movie in theaters. Whether it's trash or I'm going to love it, I, I cannot pass this up. So yeah, no, I absolutely bought a ticket for opening weekend. And I was in the theater at like 10 o'clock at night watching Scream 4. <laughs> but I definitely had my doubts. I, I went in there with really low expectations and was really, really excited and pissed at myself for ever having doubted it to begin with. So... Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> cool. Well, um, uh, before we get to ratings, is there anything that you two want to add? Or, you know, capstone? I'm excited to talk about Screen 3 and 4 with Amber. And I'm also excited to do a Spiral episode because it clearly needs to happen. Yes. Because y'all have oh. some thoughts. <laughs> oh, right. I'm so... Cause I, I, when I, so we were... So we, we set up... I did it again, okay? <laughs> we, we set up a Facebook thread. And uh, and uh, so uh, one of uh, Rise friends and I, we were talk, We were like ripping it apart, like ruthlessly. And I felt oh. bad. I felt so bad because Amber had... Or I'm sorry, Rye hadn't watched it yet. And I was like, I hope... I hope... I, 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 but right, I, I just general. I do. I am very, very happy that you enjoyed the movie, and I'm, you just disagree with it. It's okay. I, I, we will disagree <laughs> so hard, and I cannot wait for the tea. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's gonna be great. Okay. All right. So, uh, uh, Amber, what's your final ratings for uh, Scream One and Two? So uh, obviously, Scream is a five out of five perfect film. They couldn't have done. I think uh, Ryan mentioned it before. You couldn't have done anything else. It doesn't matter. It's perfect. Scream 2 is, I believe, the weakest of the Scream genre. I don't know why Scream 3 has a special place in my heart. Obviously, like, I just went on a tangent for Scream 4. I love Scream 4. Scream 2, I'd still say, is like a 3.5. It's not a bad movie, and there's some good stuff in it. But... I kind of watch it and then forget about it. Like, I wouldn't say that I walk away quoting anything. Like, Scream 3, I'll never forget about because it's a movie within a movie. And Scream 4, the ending scene when the the killer's revealed there is very memorable and and everything. But I just feel like maybe Scream 2 just isn't memorable enough. So 3.5 out of 5 still. Good movie, but I wouldn't say is a movie that takes a a franchise to the next level. Mm Mm-hmm. Amber and I have the exact opposite. That's how I feel about Scream 3. <laughs> like, I don't walk away. I don't... I, I know how memorable it is for being a movie in a movie, but I do not walk away quoting Scream 3. One, I don't know why, but every time I watch Scream 2, I always have to wait for Timothy Oliphant to be like, Billy's mother! Just the way he delivers that line, I have to wait in the, like, total silence to, like, wait for all of that crap. I, I don't know. And uh, there are some things, like, Sid carries over... 
Uh, there are a lot of themes that carry over from Scream 2 into Scream 3, which we can get into when we talk about Scream 3 and Scream 4. Um, and I think it's it does a really good job of setting up the third movie. Um, but I, st yeah, I, I'm the exact, I'm the exact opposite of Amber. I really think that like Scream 3 is the weakest of the four of them so far. <laughs> I give well, Scream 1. Recently rewatched it, okay, right? Have you? It's true. No, I haven't. I haven't. I recently only rewatched the first two. I will get to three and four when we do it. Yes, next time. It'll be next very time. fresh. It'll be very fresh, I promise. But yeah, for so for Scream 1, I agree with Amber. Perfect film, five out of five. But uh, Scream 2, I'm going to give 4.5 out of five instead of a 3.5 because I saved that for Scream 3. Might change, but next time I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, for me, you know, five out of five ghost faces, just literally perfect you know it's i literally have no complaints with the first movie uh second film i'm gonna give it a four ghost faces out of five um i i don't think it it, does, it didn't have like the same impact uh as the first one i mean i mean it's, it's up against a juggernaut and um i think it made for a a decent enough sequel and it you know it tried to reinvent itself again uh and i could um i cannot uh you know i had i have to commend west for uh trying to reinvent the wheel especially with how crazy awesome and like how meteoric uh, the first movie was uh and you know i'm also trying to like think outside the box in terms of what i would give three and four on the on a, the rewatches good film but I, I don't know maybe uh it's been a while since i've seen three and four so <laughs> I, I might retroactively bump it down, but I still enjoy, in general, really, uh, I, I dig, I dug uh, Scream 2. You know, it was fun seeing those characters come back. It was fun, and like, I really loved Timothy Oliphant as an actor. Um, so it was really, really surreal to, to watch him like this young. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's my rating. Four out of five. All right. On that note, thank you for listening to another episode of Left 4 Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Left 4 Dread Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. And we want to thank our special guest, Amber, horror yes. extraordinaire, final girl of all final girls. And we, she will come back. We're going to be talking about Scream 3 and three and, and 4. So stay tuned. Very exciting. Yes. Um, yes. So thank you for listening. And don't forget, stay dreadful. Stay dreadful.